this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Welcome to Soundcheck, the first, best, and only music podcast. I am your host, Brody Britton. And I am your co-host, Michael Livingston. And I'm your co-co-host, Ben Ackley. Welcome to Soundcheck. What do we what do we got on the on the burner today? Well, well, <laughs> well, well, well. Well. Um today. We're talking about the Beach Boys, and we don't really have housekeeping anymore because, uh, unfortunately, we've stopped caring. <laughs> On with today's episode. So, uh, there has to be some... <laughs> I'm, so... I'm dying. There has to be some sort of preamble to this. It just feels so bizarre. Well, you've been a long... Both of you have been long-time fans of the Beach Boys. We should establish that first, and then establish that I am a complete Beach Boys just no knowledge at all before going into this. I had listened to Pet Sounds before, and we kind of are going from there. Yeah, I got <laughs> I got into the Beach Boys probably around the same time that I got into the Beatles. So just my getting into 60s music, those kind of happened simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that there was sort of... I, was, I had some knowledge that there was like kind of a rivalry, creative competition between the Beach Boys and the Beatles, but I never really got super into it. I remember... You know, listening to Pet Sounds for the first time at night. I know I was like just laying in my bed, listening to the whole thing. I remember that train going by at the end of Caroline No, and just like my world was changed forever after that. And I'm, I think the Beach Boys uh, are the band that I have the most merch of, which really? I don't really know how that happened, but wow. oh, I didn't see you also wearing the hat. Yes, I have a Beach Boys hat and shirt, both of. Uh, Beach Boys 80s tours, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> something we're not going to be delving into today. But um, but the main, what are we delving into today? So the main topic we're going to be delving into is um, post-Pet Sounds hidden gems with the Beach Boys. But before we get into that, I think uh, Ben would like to kind of give, give some context of what we're talking about today. Yeah, we were just talking off mic right before this. There are kind of two camps uh, today of people who enjoy the Beach Boys, and that's Sort of, as Brody would say, the old heads who are like, Beach Boys are fun, 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 and surfing safari, and just all this surfing cars and girls uh, stuff. And they don't really acknowledge the stuff beyond that. And then there's younger folks like us who really appreciate the Beach Boys 1966 magnum opus Pet Sounds, and that's kind of all the band is to them, is that one great album. Which is definitely a great album, huge influence on... A lot of people. Yeah. Music in yeah. general. Think, think your average pitchfork enjoyer, yeah. you know, rate your music type crowd. core. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and those are kind of your two camps. But there is, and I've known for a long time, as I think Brody has, um, there's, there's a lot more to enjoy with the Beach Boys. That's kind of what we're trying to showcase today is mm-hmm. we picked five albums after Pet Sounds that are really great. So five albums that neither people... In either the the old heads camp or the Moocore camp, would yeah, really acknowledge, really acknowledge or appreciate. And I think it's because it's at least up until hope up until like super recently, as a lot of them have gotten critical reevaluations. 
Um, it really has. I think I just feel like it almost like as soon as the Beach Boys released like Good Vibrations, they they became overnight has-beens. Right. And I think it was almost like this unspoken thing for like many decades that oh, the Beach Boys never released good music after Good Vibrations, which is which we're going to disprove today. Yeah. And this is a good time to be doing it because, as you said, critical recent critical reevaluation has happened quite a bit in the last few years. Also. Um, the Beach Boys back catalog is being treated very kindly by Capitol Records right now. There are lots of box sets. Mm. Uh, there might be another one slated to come out, which we'll talk about later. Um, but the Feel Flows box set just came out yeah. within the last month, featuring uh, tracks from one of the albums that we're going to talk about today, right? Actually, both. I Actually, think. yeah, two. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that really has shown there there's a lot of great unreleased stuff and a, a lot of great track stuff and the, the the elephant in the room when we talk about unreleased beach boy stuff is smile right um do you want to talk about smile a little bit brody yeah so um after uh pet sounds was released um brian wilson kind of headed headed that project it was definitely his baby with the production and the orchestral stuff and he began working on um a project called Smile. He called it a teenage symphony to God. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but uh, basically, it was going to be way more out there, way more experimental. And uh, so basically, it kind of didn't happen for a couple of reasons. Uh, Brian's mental health uh, d- began to de- decline as well as he decided to descent into drugs as well as Beach Boys villain Mike Love kind of wanting to take the reins back and get them away from the experimental stuff and become a pop band again. Right. There was a lot of fear from the uh, old guard within the band seeing this way more far-out direction that Brian mm-hmm. wanted to take them and thinking about their pocketbooks specifically. Yeah. Kind of worrying that this was not going to be a success, which uh, Smile is great because you can hear basically everything that exists it was abandoned after about a year yeah Um, and honestly listening to it from today i can't really tell i don't i i don't know if it would have done very well had it been finished and released um i don't know if it would have done well commercially i think i think it would have been pretty i think it would have been a critic's darling but there are several avenues you can listen to smile today Mm -hmm. um you can listen to smiley smile which was a compromise album um, uh, between the pop stuff and the more experimental stuff. So you can hear a lot of tracks that were going to be on Smile, but not all of them. Right. Um, and then you can also listen to... Actually, a lot of Smile tracks were re-recorded and re-released under different albums throughout the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Or you can listen to Brian Wilson's Presents Smile. These are the two main avenues. You can either listen to Brian Wilson Presents Smile, which is is good at one Grammy for like album of the year that year um the only issue i think a lot of fans have with it is that it was recorded in the 2000s right and it was a lot of the instrumentation was thought of for live performances later and then there is the smile sessions that came out in 2011 now i that's my preferred avenue to listen to smile definitely um the the positives are those are the original like recordings and mixes from the 60s the only i would say the the but the the downside is it does feel like an unfinished album right yeah i mean and and it's 
we're just going to play a second of it, uh, of the probably the big song from the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one that, there's another one we're going to reference later that's probably the other big one. Other than Good Vibrations, which comes from those sessions, mm-hmm. Heroes and Villains would be considered the big one. And this was yeah. kind of the song that led Brian to cracking because none of the other band members totally got what he was doing. Um, and they couldn't really see the commercial side of this. Uh, so we're going to play a little bit of Heroes and Villains. This is from the Smile Sessions, which highly recommend if you like this episode, seek this out. Uh, yeah. But we're just going to play a second. I've been in this town so long and back in the city. I've been taken for lost and gone and I've known for a long, long time. Fell in love years ago with an innocent girl from the Spanish and Indian She's still dancing in the night, unafraid of what a doodle do in a town full of heroes and doodle. So I mean, pretty pretty cool stuff. Far out stuff. You can see the band members' concern, I think. Yeah, and for all you all you film people out there, you might recognize it from the opening sequence of Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. All of this is basically to say uh, the Beach Boys' career could have been very different had Brian been able to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, if circumstances were different, we there, we could have been seeing a very different Beach Boys sonically as well as like their reputation commercially and critically but instead this whole project falls apart it becomes compromised as smiley smile their next album wild honey is received okay but it's uh barely 25 minutes long i think it's 23 or 24 minutes long um Mm. and this this sort of ushers in a three album period smiley smile wild honey and the next album we're going to talk about where the beach boys were almost creating and releasing unfinished product yeah um, not always to the detriment of the project, but I mean, they are definitely like dangerously short. There are, there are hardcore punk albums from the eighties longer than that. Yeah. So we have, so, so demo esque sort of lo-fi stuff. Uh, and the first album we're going to be talking about, which we're going to be bringing Michael in on finally after that. <laughs> think, uh, think of me as Brody and Ben's like test dummy for all of these albums. Yeah, like I'll be able to give you the first perspective for yeah. you know first time beach boy listeners right he's our test subject um so the first thing we're going to be talking about is 1968's friends uh and this was one that you sort of spearheaded a little bit more brody so do you want to talk about it a little bit uh well i mean you have a bunch of fun facts on it I, you... I do have some fun facts please, please list them off okay uh so friends is significant as being the first major songwriting effort of dennis wilson who you'll be hearing a lot more from throughout this episode mm-hmm. um and he contributes two absolute masterpieces to this, uh, both of which we'll be highlighting in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is from that sort of, I call it the no full albums period that we've been talking about. That's from uh, probably Smiley Smile to 2020. They're all kind of cobbled together mishmashes of stuff, uh, mostly recorded in Brian's home studio. Yeah. Uh, while he was kind of beginning to seclude himself, mm-hmm. um, hiding in his room a lot. Um, it's the last... Uh, LP until Love You, which we're going to talk about later, for Brian to be credited credited on the majority of the tracks for songwriting. Um, I, I 
was thinking about it uh, on the way in today, and I, I, I'd like to call this album Pleasantly Unfinished. Yeah. Which brings to mind uh, Paul McCartney's first solo album for me, mm-hmm. where there's stuff that's kind of sketchy, kind of, you know, you have instrumentals and stuff that like doesn't totally sound finished, but it's not a bad thing. I don't dislike hearing it. Um, and Friends is also significant because it coincided with uh, two huge failure tours for the Beach Boys, which really was the nail in the coffin for their reputation here at the end of the 60s. Um, they had a big tour with uh, the Transcendental Meditation founder, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, um, which would be the Beach Boys play some at the start, and then he comes out and gives a long-winded lecture about TM. Um, so that only ran for five shows before it was canceled. The last straw was uh, they were playing at the Singer Bowl in Queens, which is a 16,000 capacity bowl, and they attracted 800 people. Wow. Uh, and that, tour, that show was canceled before it even went on. Um, and for a, a little, this was a huge monetary loss. Like in 2021 dollars, they lost over a million bucks on this tour. Um, the tour before this one, they also lost like what would have been around a million bucks today. Um, and, uh, if you want to hear at least that whole debacle mentioned, you should listen to keep it warm by Flo and Eddie, because there's a couplet about the beach boys and TM and all this stuff. Transcendental meditation is fun to read about, but especially at this point with the Beatles having come back from India and sort of said, eh, not really our thing mm-hmm. uh, with the whole thing. Any sort of Indian influence or guru kind of related stuff in America and in the UK was uh, sort of being balked at, um, mm-hmm. which really contributed to the failure of this tour. Um, uh, but that's that's basically it with Friends. You know, that's... Uh, there's not much more to it. It's just kind of a lo-fi little thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think what's significant uh, sonically about it is that you, you hear the Beach Boys experimenting with a lot of keys on this one, a lot of, uh, like, organs and mm-hmm. blank trons, like mellotrons and stuff like that, and, like, primitive keyboards and primitive synth and stuff like that, um, which I think is really cool, and I think it gives this... It's just a, it's just a nice, like, relaxing album. Yeah, you definitely... I, I think you called it, like, a really good morning album. Yeah, something you would, like, just, like, listen to on the porch with, like, a cup of coffee and just r- relax. Yeah, do you want to talk about your song? Little Bird? Mm-hmm. Well, um, do you want to play it first? Sure. Sure, okay. So this is a little bit of one of the two Dennis Wilson compositions on the record, uh, Little Bird. And this is... I think pretty widely considered the best song on the album. Mm-hmm. Little bird up in a tree looked down and sang a song to me of how it began.
So I think I think you guys kind of get the sound. I think you know it's it's definitely cool because you know that that sounds very Beatlesy to me. You yeah. Know, something that would be off like Magical Mystery Tour or something like that. And I just I just think it's cool that they're still delving into like psychedelic pop. It definitely has that that mellow kind of feel, and it's it's cool to hear it like when you think you know '68, like the the White Album came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so hearing that as sort of a contrast, and this is where you first start to hear everything after smiley smiley smile and after you kind of start to hear the beach boys being way out of step with their contemporaries which became yeah. a big problem for the general public which is why mm. you don't hear a lot about this stuff that's that that is true because while i really i really like friends i wouldn't consider it a masterpiece no as opposed to a lot of their contemporaries at that time the beatles the stones the who the kinks were all releasing some of their their best work right and so that's where you see it. But let's let's look at the positives, which is oh, yeah. the song is 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 really good. <laughs> but second, I think you it's a good introduction. You can kind of hear the rough around the edges production, especially even even for the time. Like right. it's kind of it's kind of gritty. It does have that home recorded feel and stuff like that. No, it has a great homey sound, and that's yeah. actually something that really lends itself to my song, which is the other Dennis Wilson track on here. Be still. Uh, this is. Just a gorgeous song. I really, as you're going to hear on the next album, I really love when the Be- when the Beach Boys strip it way back like this mm-hmm. and just showcase the songwriting because I think there's great stuff in here. But this is a, just a really good sort of positive affirmation kind of song. Um, I'm going to play most of it. You know, you know you are. Be still and know you are. Your life is meant for joy. just a man i i just really love his songwriting i don't know what it mm-hmm. is about it but he just he has a beautiful voice and he really knows how to showcase it uh, and you can just hear that on all the stuff he does i, I think it's kind of important to point out we're not going to be uh rocking out very much on this episode yeah. uh, the uh even the pet sounds beach boys but especially post pet sounds you're not getting as much in your face sort of rock and roll as uh a lot of the other bands of their time periods, which does set them apart in another way. Uh, and I think the time has come to figure out and find out what Michael thought about this first uh, record we're talking about today. All right, motherfuckers, you've been hearing about these big brain boys going off about their Beach Boys love. Let me bring it back to you and just say this is the first full-length Beach uh, Beach Boys album I've listened to since Pet Sounds, so you, so you can imagine my confusion going in. <laughs> And getting this sort of uh, tranquil, peaceful, serene, um, sort of tropical island type vibe, which, you know, you'd expect hearing the name Beach Boys, but you wouldn't expect after only hearing like Surf in USA and shit like that. Yeah. Right. So 
Uh, the thing I want to highlight on a project like this is the length. It being less than a half hour long, you would expect it to kind of be your mind immediately goes to like punk albums and stuff like Brody had mentioned, there's punk albums that are longer than this, you know, but the thing with the beach boys that you have to realize and what I realized is that there's so much color and so much, uh, varying instrumentation on each one of these tracks that are just jam packed into maybe a minute to about two thirty. Mm-hmm. So Brody had mentioned that this is a great morning album. I want you listeners to try this, go through your morning routine and, and every stage in your morning routine, listen to one song um, like maybe three times. And I'm talking about Diamond Head, the instrumental here, because you will hear different parts of the instrumentation come out and pop its head out as you're listening and going through different stages in your morning routine. You're listening to it in the shower. You might hear little ukulele strums coming in. You're listening to it while you're making coffee. You're going to hear more of the synths and more of the keys. I'm serious. This happens with every single track. And I listened to this album more than a couple times because it was the first one I dived into, and that's what I noticed. And that's what you're going to notice as you get more into the Beach Boys, I think, is that each time you listen to one of these songs, you notice these little nods that Brian Wilson and co sort of put in and the touches of love that goes into each one of these songs. So that's kind of my, my take so far is very impressed with friends would give it another listen. I don't know. Is that our, (laughs) that's the rating system, but yeah. Um, great album. Do you want to hear a little bit of yours before we move on? Um, if you want to, it's an instrumental. So let's do it. Yeah. I like diamond head. This was uh, apparently at least somewhat inspired by their trip to Hawaii the year before, which they tried to chronicle on the unreleased live album Laid in Hawaii. That's L-E-I apostrophe D. get the kind of lo-fi-ness from a song like that where it it kind of just feels like they're throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks yeah you'll hear like the water sound effects that come in at the start and then they just sort of like cut off and then come back in again and there's like some bum notes on the harpsichord kind of part and like it's just a really it's an informal album, I think would be a good way to say it. It's not you're not gonna feel like it's something as grand as pet sounds or something that took as much work or effort, but there's a charm to that. Well that's what I'm saying, is like, you know, you mentioned those ocean sounds and, and the harpsichord and all these things. Those are the little little kisses that, you know, the Wilson brothers gives to these songs. Yeah, I would definitely say 
if you're if you're listening to a Beach Boys album, especially really any of the stuff we're talking about today, take the time and just sit down with it. You know, if you have some good speakers or some headphones or whatever, like just take your time. I mean, and it's not much time if you're going with this stuff. <laughs> I, really, it's usually going to be 40 minutes or less with any Beach Boys album. But just take that time and sit down and really intently listen because there's lots of cool stuff on these records. Uh, and we're about to talk about another one that is actually one of my one of my all-time favorites. Oh, yeah. Um, so 1971 sees the release of uh, Surf's Up. Uh, this album is very notable as the Beach Boys' attempt to become a part of the counterculture. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the counterculture it wasn't really totally hippy-dippy anymore. The hippies were still around, but they had kind of... The peace and love and summer of love stuff was dying off a little bit. The was, flower child Right. The, the flower child shit was kind of gone. It was becoming a lot more about um, ecology and uh, protecting the environment. Becoming more of like a holistic, like living off the land kind of pastoral thing and you can get a lot of that in the themes of this album um a few significant things from around this time the beach boys played two sets at the big sur folk festival um at the behest of uh van dyke parks who is brian's writing partner on a lot of the smile stuff um and that becomes significant on the album we're going to talk about later holland you definitely hear those influences and the there's a big uh there's some stuff about Big Sur on there. Um, and they also had a uh, apparently somewhat tumultuous opening slot for The Grateful Dead at the Fillmore East. Um, I, I, it, it sounds like the audience didn't love them, which you can see why. I mean, they're still playing the old stuff, too. Um, but this is considered to be the Beach Boys' darkest album. Um, it focuses a lot on ecology and... Uh, sort of the the death of the environment and focus on pollution that Mm -hmm. people were starting to see as a real problem for the first time in the early 70s. Um, And it says a lot about the Beach Boys that their darkest album has a song about taking care of your feet. Yeah, I think I think I love the juxtaposition of the title and the cover. Because the the title is Surf's Up, which kind of... um, calls back and is an homage to kind of like their fun in the sun days with you know i get around and little deuce coop but the uh the album cover is some guy getting like impaled on a horse right. yeah that, that's a i don't remember the name of the artist um so forgive me for that but that's a sort of a an interpolation or a drawing of a sculpture called the end of the trail mm-hmm. uh, which features a an indigenous person uh who's been i think yeah shot with an arrow yeah is like dying slumped over on his horse his horse is exhausted too it's really like if i had to pick a favorite beach boys cover that might be the one do you mind if i cap on it real quick yeah the the fact that 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 native is under the water as well um at this point the band's been making music for over a decade and like we were saying the california surf aesthetic long gone the flower child aesthetic uh is starting to die out so the band decides to embrace this sort of sinking ship and writes this sort of existential memoir of what happens next so thematically the album is all about escapism um, kind of returning back and, and trying to relive the past, nostalgia in that as well, but also death and just trying to move on from uh, these different cultures and these different um, wells of inspiration that they've been drawing out from over the years. They have to move on to something new, and they acknowledge that, and they do it in the way only the Beach Boys can. Yeah, there's definitely a lot about death on this album, and I think the uh, 
the most obvious example of that is your song, Brody. Yes, Till I Die. Give it, give it a whirl. I'm a cork on the I think immediately you can hear a, a production improvement from Friends. Definitely. Yeah. You can hear that they got back in the studio. And I mean, this is uh, one of the first true attempts after that kind of period of time where they're trying to really make a statement. Yeah. Um, and that it, it doesn't often hurt me on this show to fade a song out. But that's one of the times it does. It's it's such a great song, and you you had told told me a little bit about oh, it yes last night. Yeah, I was I was doing I did a fair amount of research for this episode, and um, apparently, uh, "Till I Die" was written by Brian the day after he was having sort of a breakdown, kind of a suicidal episode. He had been threatening to. I, there are actually details of this that I forgot when I was telling you, but he'd been threatening to drive his car off the Santa Monica Pier and kill himself. And he had actually ordered his gardener to dig a grave in his backyard, um, which sort of puts you in the headspace that Brian Wilson was in at this point in his life. Um, and he woke, he got through the night, he woke up the next day, and he wanted to recreate the feelings that he had been feeling the night before, and he wrote this song. Uh, and when he brought it in to the rest of the group, they didn't really get it. Um, and that really crushed him because according to him, and he said a lot of different things. So take every quote I take from him with a grain of salt. He said that this is his most personal song and that really, really hurt him when his friends kind of brushed it off. Yeah. I think that's also kind of a good introduction to this much darker Beach Boys territory we had, we're kind of treading on in this, uh, album. Yeah. And I, to that point, I mean, everyone does see the Beach Boys as kind of this lighter band, unless you're the Pet Sounds fan where you see that darkness and sort of that edginess. Melancholy. Right, that that album Mm -hmm. lends. But the Beach Boys were a band, uh, mostly a family band, that were plagued with uh, father issues, a lot of of their career abuse. Um, Brian Wilson with his mental struggles that lasted from the sixties to present day. Yeah. Um, and there's lots to unpack there. So if, if you want more on that, uh, there are lots of great books and articles and you can just do some cursory reading online. There's a lot with that, but, um, Brian Wilson was a very troubled figure and you get that from that song. Um, and you definitely get it from the song that I'm about to talk about. Um, a day in the life of a tree actually sounds a lot like be still in that it's just, a man and some organs. 
Um, not that one. Um, but this uh, is not sung by Dennis. It's sung by uh, actually the Beach Boys co-manager at this time, Jack Riley. Um, it's a really kind of wheezy, shambolic song. Um, and Jack Riley sings it, I think, to the best of his ability. And it's not... It's not what you'd call a perfect or a great vocal performance, but there's just something about it. It fits the song so well. Um, according to Al Jardine, uh, Jack sang it because none of the band members would do it um, because the song was too sad. Uh, and I I remember reading that before I ever heard the song, and I was like, oh, come on. Like, I've heard sad Beach Boy stuff. It can't be that bad. But <laughs> this one is, is definitely up there with Till I Die. It's just a, a gorgeous, hauntingly sad song uh you're gonna hear some harmonium and uh some pump organ and i think that's basically it I think those two songs both really exemplify kind of the uh, the childishness or like the naivete in Brian Wilson's songwriting. Um, and if they were handled by anyone else, I think they would come off as corny. Yeah. But it's just the production and the style of music being married perfectly with the songwriting uh, kind of makes for a perfect storm of like just super bare emotional stuff. And apparently, uh, in the studio, when Brian heard Jack's version of that, he was crying. Uh, and it sounds like, I think you can hear, definitely Until I Die uh, is confirmed, but it sounds like A Day in the Life of a Tree is kind of a a really personal one for Brian as well. Yeah, and I th- I think you mentioned it, but while was it, his name is Jack, mm-hmm. uh, he isn't like, like obviously the Beach Boys are known as some of, some of the best singers uh, in pop music, but I mean like... He doesn't have the greatest voice, but you're you're right. It really just does work for this song. Yeah, it almost uh, the song to me. It kind of almost works as like a a piece that would be in a musical or something, mm-hmm. where you can kind of look at it as a character. You know, if you there are lots of musicals where they don't have the best singer singing the song, but it's the singer who it's has the, the voice that matches it and the emotion. Yeah. And that's that's really what you can hear through this. And hearing a rock band, especially a rock band in the '70s, doing something like this and like the first song is really radical and it really shows why people were not into the beach boys at this time because this was totally seen as like wimpy and 
like Black Sabbath is re- starting to release stuff around this time. Led Zeppelin is the biggest band in the world. Yeah. You know, you're not going to seek out a day in the life of a tree if you're a rock music listener at this point in time, you know? It's just not cool. Right. So what what do you what do you got, Michael? Um, well, I'll preface it by saying last night you guys were discussing the albums we talk about today and you caught you made this prediction that I would, you know, really fall in love with Surf's Up and you really did hit the nail on the head. Uh, congratulations. I, you got me with the environmental messages stuff. You know me. When that appears on an album, I'm all for that on Don't Go Near the Water. And I think even with, while uh, A Day in Life of a Tree can be, uh, symbolizes this really personal thing for Brian, it can also be having some environmental messages Definitely. with that too. So I want to you know really just capture this one more time. The the way that this album is able to be so personal yet such a statement at the same time you know up to this point while it's not totally beach boys to write protest songs like student demonstration time um it was still an amazing listen and it still somehow came out personal on the other side and once again i'd like to highlight those uh the how they sort of highlight the significance of the cultural impact of the 60s um with all of this stuff too so it really is in that way to sort of be a statement on the world, but also be a statement on oneself um, makes it, I think one of the greatest artistic statements of all time. Like you guys were totally right. I love this album and that's why it's my second favorite beach boys album. Well, shit. I am very glad to hear that. I definitely going through this reevaluation. I really, really realized how gorgeous and just impeccable this album is and i think we should talk about your song uh the title track Mm -hmm. which brian relented uh and allowed to be placed on the album which called it uh which resulted in it being changed in name Mm -hmm. at the last minute from landlocked to surfs up there's no particular reason why i put this on there other than my actual favorites were stolen by you guys first (laughs) so (laughs) yes i put this one on as just uh uh, kind of the title track and yeah i think there's also that historical um little fun fact about it but i'd like to say it one more time this is my second favorite beach boys album my third favorite is pet sounds oh shit folks um i also want to say this was this is also a song that was going to be on smile yeah so if you like this search out the smile sessions also notice Coming up at some point is going to be Michael's favorite Beach Boys album, and I'm pretty sure I know what it is. <laughs> a diamond necklace played the pond, and a handsome drove the long walk to a handsome man in the top. A blind glass aristocracy, back through the opera glass you see, appeared in the pendulum That's that's a gorgeous song, even mm-hmm. in, in that context where it doesn't totally belong. It's just a great one. 
Um, and up next, we're going to be talking about Michael's favorite Beach Boys album, Love You. <laughs> How are you? I hope we can lighten the mood on this one so far. It's it's We're talking about the Beach Boys, but it's been a pretty dark episode. Yeah, so and that's, that, that's something really important to talk about is if you go in this like early to mid-70s period of Beach Boys stuff, there's definitely some fun in the stun stuff, like Do It Again from 2020, but they get dark. They really do. Um, and here is the album the whole reason why i think we didn't do this in chronological order <laughs> definitely yeah this is this is the one uh we didn't want to end on yeah um so i guess <laughs> honestly let's play your song first brody just to i would say my song is definitely probably one of the more accessible accessible ones and just so you kind of it's also good to play the song first just so you guys get an idea of why this is why we wanted to kind of not end on this one. Yeah, we're going to cleanse the palate a little bit. We're going to have a little fun. This is a roller skating child. Soundcheck does not love you. <laughs> well, she's a roller skating child with the ribbon in her hair. She gets my heart to beating when I see her there. You know my heart starts smiling when she sings. She's such an angel, I bet she's got wings. It will make sweet love away. The sun goes down We'll even do more When her mama's not around Well, oh my, oh gosh, oh gee She really sets chills inside of me They got a record playing in the skating rink She comes skating past me and she gives me a wink I go and get my skates on and I catch up with her It's so cold I go burr. It's so cold I go burr. <laughs> this this whole album makes me feel like I'm at like a youth pasture or something like that and the 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 teenager that's overseeing all the little kids is trying not to swear. Yeah. You know like gosh dang it. Oh yeah. gee oh, dang gee. it. Oh gee. <laughs> oh, gee. oh gosh. So, I mean, believe it or not, 1977's Love You is uh, essentially a Brian Wilson solo album. Um, it's also the first Beach Boys album since Friends that he wrote most of the songs on. That he was like the driving force Yeah, he it. was the, the main producer. Yeah. He wrote most of the songs. This is his baby. Yeah. He recommends um, that immediately after listening to Pet Sounds, you listen to Love You. Really? He does. I would I would disagree. <laughs> he recommends Brian Wilson recommends a lot of things. Um and you don't have to to pay attention to all of them, but this is uh kind of a a window into the mind of Brian Wilson at this point in time, which is a very scary thing. Yeah. Um I I'd, I'd call uh, if this is a reflection of Brian's mind, Brian's mind kind of seems like a funhouse. Uh yeah. where everything's just sort of distorted and I don't really know what's going on. Uh, well, a lot of the lyrics are stream of consciousness, and <laughs> I don't know. The B side gets a little more adult, but yeah, this is like well, this, this is like <laughs> it's very. I don't even know, man. It is. This is. I think Ben Ben put it. You you said that you've never heard anything like this before, and I I agree. So to explain it, this is the Beach Boys in 1977 doing synth pop. Yeah. I mean, really, really early. Yeah. Like, super early. Like, this is... This is proto-New Wave. Yeah, what did... Like, Suicide's first album came out in 
eight. Uh, yeah, right? either is eight 70. or the same year. Yeah, so, same year or the next year. So they're like, the Beach Boys are somehow ahead of the curve on this Ahead one. of the curve with synth pop, which, I mean, it took a lot of artists a long time to get into the whole 80s synthy sound. And they, I mean, they'd been playing with synthesizers since the early 70s. Yeah. There's Moog stuff that shows up on uh, an album we're going to talk about next. There's Moog stuff that shows up before that, but... I, th- I think you also mentioned it, that there's almost some uh, primitive gated reverb on the drums. Oh, yeah. This this album, this song, um, gated reverb was obviously an, the, the accident that made every drum sound on the 80s sound the same. Yeah. Um, but... There, that snare really sounds like an 80s snare, but from 1977 before gated reverb snare existed. Mm-hmm. So uh, as much as there's some really bizarre and uh, creepy sometimes stuff on this album, mm-hmm. um, there is some really great stuff. I'd, I'd like to highlight uh, actually what appears on Spotify at least to be the least popular song on the album, but one that really struck me on my most recent re-listen. Well, probably because it's the last song and no one stayed. And no one lasted that long. <laughs> yeah. Especially. And yeah, I, 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 no one lasted that long, especially not after I Want to Pick You Up. But um, <laughs> this is uh, Love is a Woman, which is sort of a 50s-style chord progression thing uh, with a chorus that sounds like kind of a, a fucked up Harry Nelson song. It reminded me a lot of the the, the soundtrack uh, the soundtrack he did for the live action Popeye movie. Uh, which there's at least one good song on that. He Needs Me is great. Um, but this is just a great song. You really get to hear, like Brian really roughs up his voice on this whole album uh, in an interesting way. And I just love this hook. Love is a woman so treat her tenderly tonight. Love makes a woman. So give her all your love tonight. A woman is love, and if you're smart, you'll teach. I just, I love the timbre of his voice on that chorus. I don't know what it is. It just works for me. Yeah. Uh, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there's there's not a lot to say about Love You, yet there there is so much. You have to listen to it. Yeah. You have to listen to it. You will find rewarding songs. I think the first three songs are awesome. There's some really great stuff. There's There's great stuff throughout. You just kind of have to find it and we're gonna we're gonna actually end the episode by playing a song from this yeah uh, I, uh, <laughs> dedicated to late night host johnny, johnny carson. carson that's a good example of the very hokey corny lyrics on it uh because there there are a lot i mean a, a good one is the one i picked you know oh gosh oh gee <laughs> so like there's, there's a lot of goofy lyrics on here it's weird because it's kind of a throwback to 
I, I don't know how this album was inspired. There's no way to get that information out of Brian at this point. Yeah. Um, I think he, I was reading an interview last night um, and he said his favorite part of working on, it was working on Love You, right? I think he said his favorite part of working on Love You was being in the studio. <laughs> that was the answer. So uh, let it be known, Brian likes this album. He had fun making it, I think. Um, it's it's weird. It's really weird. Um, I, I guess, like, that's the thing, I guess. It's like, in 1977, while well, the synthesizer had been around for a while, um, like, the idea of making... Com- like music out of almost everything with it is completely new. So it was I, novelty. Yeah. I mean, the, Brian said that his big influence for this album was actually the uh, the Switched On Bach album, which is a bunch of reinterpretations of Bach's music done on synthesizer. Mm-hmm. So this is this is groundbreaking, really, as a uh, a rock group, a relatively mainstream rock group, making an entire record with synthesizers and drum machines. Is mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Because because you mentioned like that it would take a lot of artists a long time to get on that train. Because I mean like in the in the eighties you had tons of artists from the sixties tr- trying their their attempts at synth pop. Yes, Neil Young. Yeah, Bob Dylan. There are lots of really bad, really bad examples of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people like Paul Simon who took to it very well. Yeah, um, but having a band do it this early. Uh, it definitely feels like a stepping stone, even if it is a like like it's so it was not the sturdiest stepping. It was stone. either before or during suicide, uh, before Gary Newman, yeah. before even the early synth pop acts of like uh, the the Human Leagues, Don't You Want Me, or Flock of Seagulls, I Ran. Right, and we're just sort of taking the. I mean, we're taking the piss out of this album for sure, but it's worth your time. There, you will find some fun stuff. On Every that. Beach Boys fan should at least listen to it once. I feel like not to not to the abrasiveness extent, but it's like it's like the Revolution Nine of the Beach Boys. Yeah. It's weird, and it's not something you always want to return to, but it, I feel like every Beach Boys fan has listened to right. it once. And folks, Mike Love became the head of the Beach Boys uh, later on. So they've made way worse shit than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's actually something I'm going to talk about in a little bit that is one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Um, but do you want to talk about Love You, Michael? Are Not you... really. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, if you can't help being a snob, you should at least appreciate the album for the synth work like you guys have been yeah. talking about. Uh, yeah, this mic is loving it. Let's keep moving. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, like Michael. Oh, wow. Damn. Very good. Did Michael pick out a song for this? You don't want to play Honkin' Down the Highway, Michael? I don't want to play anything, (laughs) actually. I I was forced to pick a favorite track from everyone. This is one of my favorite Beach Boys albums. Go go listen to it. What, Love You? I love Love You. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about my all-time favorite Beach Boys album. Um... Holland is uh, was recorded in is 1973. Holland is a country in Europe, right? No, it's not. <laughs> Wait, yes, it is. It's it's another word for Netherlands, right? Hold on. <laughs> okay, are we really this brain dead? This is geography? our new segment, uh, ignorant Americans. I believe we did something. It's, it's ignorant it's, Americans last Holland, week. Holland, Holland is a geographical region and former province. Um, yeah, no, it's not. It's just. 
It's a part I guess of... it is another name for the Netherlands. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought as That's well. That's stupid. Okay. Anyway, let's keep going. Okay, it's stupid because Michael was wrong. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so this is my favorite Beach Boys album. Um, this is uh, this sort of focuses on like uh, themes of like discovery and adventure. It's like a really adventurous kind of sounding album, um, and it's it's very seventies sounding in the production, which uh, obviously my wheelhouse. And uh, it's it's got a little bit more of a country western flair than their other stuff, which obviously makes it stand out to me. Um, this is notable for featuring two members of the South African band, the flames who were absorbed into the beach boys for two records. Most notably on this record, uh, Blondie Chaplin, who takes the lead vocal on the lead off track, sail on sailor, which is for my money, one of the best beach boys songs. Um, it's really a, a gorgeous sounding album. It's really well recorded. Um, which usually isn't what you lead off with if you really love a record, but um, it sounds great. The songs are really fabulous. Uh, Brian Wilson does not really factor into this record very much at all. He was spending most of his time working on the Mount Vernon and Fairway uh, EP, which was packaged with this album um, and exists. It exists. It is weird, but unlike Love You, there's... It, it's not really much of note. It is a weird story thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not particularly super interesting, but you should listen to it at least once. But that is something to note uh, on streaming. Uh, Holland ends with Funky Pretty, and then that EP is just listed right after the album. Um, it's really a... It's just a, a beautiful album. Uh, I think that artistically... On this record, the Beach Boys take more swings for the fences than they really did any other time since Smile, honestly. Like, just for wholesale, like, big artistic statements and big musical statements, you can't really get bigger uh, within the Beach Boys than the California Saga, which I know you picked something from, Michael. Um, and it's it's just a really... It's, it's just a really great record. I think that that California Saga is actually... Uh, Al Jardine's best writing moment within the Beach Boys. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to it. But do you want to talk about your song, Brody? I think, I think, because it's your favorite album, and I don't know if my song is the best representation of the sound, I think you should go first. Okay, or, I will go. Or either yeah. of you guys should go first. Sure. I'll go first. Uh, and I have one of the, what I would call Radio Ready singles. Um, this is The Traitor, which leads off the second side. Uh, a little from one of the Beach Boys kids. I don't know whose kid it is. A, a little greeting at the start, and then it kicks in. This is just a great soaring song. Hi. So this is an interesting song because this is sort of a uh, colonization 
themed thing um, that's sort of showing the uh, it's it's a, I think it's about Columbus specifically, but it's kind of showing the uh, his journey across the sea and his wiping out of indigenous cultures. So you you sort of start out with his narrative of he's sailing for the crown and he's going to find a new place where everything's great, and then you kind of get the perspective from the other side. Right. Um, it's just a really nice lyric that kind of encapsulates that. It gets a little more abstract as it goes. And it's just a, it has that soaring chorus. I mean, it just totally works for me. It's great. Yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> sorry. I love um, these awkward silences we have. Me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, you're right. It is very, it is a very 70s song, uh, sonically, but it's just so catchy. Definitely. So and and you, catchy. you get a lot of that on this, um, which... I don't know. It it has sort of that like bounciness that the Beach Boys stuff kind of loses when Brian's really going through it and they're kind of getting sadder and sadder. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it still has a lot of the emotion. Um, and I think that's what your song kind of encapsulates a lot of that, Brody. Yes, I, I picked uh, Only With You. Love so many things that I feel only felt with you only with you and then there are the things that we do There's ups and downs Until the love I finally found So I think that is another because we we had been talking about Dennis a lot on Friends. Another example of his songwriting and my gloves. But let's talk about Dennis. <laughs> um, uh, Carl Wilson sings that song, and I think you just there's just such intimacy in his voice. It's like he's whispering in my ear. Yeah, Carl really. I, I don't know. He he might be for my money the best singer in the Beach Boys. He just. He can get those emotions across. That's a super 70s song, too. I mean, yeah. it really is a very 70s sounding album, mm-hmm. which kind of makes it... I think it did pretty well uh, for a 70s Beach Boys album, um, but it really should have done better. You know, I think that's kind of the... With this one, with Surf's Up, too, like with the next one we're going to talk about, the Beach Boys really deserved a lot more than what they got, I yeah. think. In the States or in the UK, they just didn't really do well anywhere during this time. Um, what did you think of Holland, Michael? Uh, no big reveal here, but yes, this is the favorite. Wow. Really? What? Really? Is that, is that a surprise? It I, is a surprise. Yes, it is. Yeah. I love this record. Good. It's awesome. I, I love how the whole concept of, th- of this album was just to go somewhere else, like leave and record and write somewhere else. And that's probably one of the best things to happen to this band. I mean, they experiment with tempo and the sound design, and they aren't afraid to brace the weirdness and the sense of adventure and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's what I love in an album is like something that sort of sends me on a journey. So I really think I had this whole sort of psychedelic trip through like a child's toy box, you know, and it was like fucking awesome. Um, 
you know, now that the band is overseas, I think with the California Saga, which is the song I'm going to play, they're looking at their home from a whole new perspective now that they've taken this journey, right? Only this band can express such a deep longing for a state in in those songs. So turning it into a fantasy landscape out of, like like I said, like a children's picture book. Um, I love how demented and sad some of these songs get. You know, it's like the closest the Beach Boys can get to like slowcore, like drone music. Like it's really that cool, I think. Um, that being said, they sort of provide a good balance at the same time. I know you really like uh, Funky Pretty, right? And I like a lot of those songs. Yeah. Funky Pretty is good. I think you mentioned that last night. But uh, and then Sail On too was just amazing. Sail On Sailor. Um, so yeah, while I imagine many hardcore Beach Boys fans question the ending of this album, um, I think they serve the same purpose as like an instrumental track, just sort of giving us more color in the whole picture that they're trying to paint here. And uh, Wait, if do you, you mean the EP or just Funky Pretty? The EP, the the oh. stories at the end. Uh, and if you don't like it, I mean, it's at the very end of the album, so. And it's one of the longest ones we've heard so far. So if you don't like it, fuck off. You know? Well, I mean, it's not really part of the. Um... Yeah, it's like a bonus thing yeah. almost. It's really interesting that though that that's packaged in the same thing as uh, something that features the song that you picked. Yes. Which is, I for my money, I would say California Saga, especially this middle part, is probably as experimental as the Beach Boys got in the seventies, at least. Yeah. Um. So this is the middle part of California Saga, the Beaks of Eagles. Yes. Um, If you ever wanted to hear the Beach Boys recite some poetry, here you go. An eagle's nest on the head of an old redwood on one of the precipice-footed ridges above Ventana Creek, that jagged country which nothing but a fallen meteor will ever plow. No horseman will ever ride there. And no hunter cross this ridge but the winged ones. No one will steal the eggs from this fortress. The she-eagle is old. Her mate was shot long ago. She has now mated with a son of hers. When lightning blasted her nest, she built it again on the same tree in the splinters of the thunderbolt. A broken shack. An old man takes his time about dying. Just at the back, wildflower bed that you lie in. In dawn's new light, a man might venture a horse-drawn stage from Monterey. Because we were talking about it yesterday, you know, you know what this kind of reminds me of. It, it reminds me of that King Giz album. Oh, the, uh, the, the Western parts. ones? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely... What it, it reminds me a lot of uh, The Murder Mystery by The Velvet Underground, oddly enough. Yeah. Where they sort of go back and forth uh, with some poetry in between a few different parts. I mean, seriously, sincerely. Um, if you like the sound of that, listen to that whole... Those three parts, because that's yeah. that's the best work Al Jardine did in The Beach Boys for my money. Um, he wrote the third part all on his own. He wrote the second part, and I think he co-wrote... The first part, um, or that, the first part might just be Mike Love, which 
Hey, great work by him too for someone so <laughs> despicable and disgusting. Um, also, I want to say because the the first um, part of the California saga is Big Sur. Uh, uh, go check out the Feel Flows version of it, the most recent mm-hmm. version, because they're two completely different songs. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Al Jardine, I wanted to provide a bit of levity because I just found this uh, before we recorded, and I really don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this is. Uh, I assume it's an official. Like, I, I guess it was probably used for a commercial or something, but this is a an Al Jardine solo song from the early 2000s called P.T. Cruiser, <laughs> okay. which was written for the horrible-looking uh, P.T. Cruiser, uh, and this really sucks, and I just wanted to play it. P.T. Cruiser, don't you know you're really looking fine? It happened on the beach down at Oceanside. A little surf booty there was making a scene She was shooting the cover of a magazine We started with the stock, then we added some wood We added hard rock paper cause it looked so good Fuel ejected engine coming off of the line And when we supercharged her you could hear her whine <laughs> Yeah I think that's his son. For a moment. Yeah, it sucks. It's horrible. What's the better three-part song? California Saga or the three-part song that appears on Everything Will Be All Right in the End, the Weezer album, The Wasteland, Anonymous, and Return to Ithaca? You know I got to go to the Beach Boys. I got to go with the Beach Boys. Big, that's, that's the wrong answer. Big okay. influence on Weezer. I mean, obviously, especially yeah. White Album. Oh, speaking of him, let's talk about uh, whose who's favorite albums are Holland. And oh, yeah. Um, Holland is uh, one of... I, on Wikipedia, it says one of Elvis Costello's favorite albums, but the article cited is like 500 albums you should own. So I guess it'd be more appropriate to say Holland is in Elvis Costello's record collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, Elvis Costello seems to like it a lot. And... Uh, for the 2000 CD reissue, uh, Tom Petty wrote the liner notes. It was also a really big influence on Camper Van Beethoven um, during the recording of one of their albums. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of one of those musicians, musicians albums, but I, do, I really don't think enough people have given the Beach Boys in the 70s the time of day to even hear it. So, here today, hopefully a few more people hear it and enjoy it. I know Michael has, so... Yeah, I'm glad I could surprise you boys today. Yeah, I, f- I feel good. Let's go to... The last one. Yes, my, my favorite post pass Downs release. Brody's favorite, and the one that we, I think, both thought was going to be your favorite, Michael. I I, I thought Surf's Up was going to be his favorite. 1970s Sunflower. Yes, oh my god. This is this is kind of known as the, uh, the, the pr- this is known by a lot of fans as probably the best one, or one of the best ones. Definitely. Um, and I think it has a lot of cool things about it. Uh, it's very, um, I feel like it's very sonically varied. There's a lot of different stuff going on. You have, you have some rockers, you got, you have like Cool Cool Water, which is kind of a very weird song for most of it. You have All I Want to Do, which apparently is a proto-chill wave song, Mm -hmm. which also, proto-chill wave aside, it sounds very ahead of its time, but we'll get to that. It sounds very modern. Do you want to... We can talk about that one right now. Yeah, let's let's play all I want to do. Yeah. 
think you know, and it takes a while to know, but you know you've succeeded as a 60s band when you record a song in 1970 that sounds like Mac DeMarco could have just recorded it. Yeah, I was going to say, today. it sounds like a bedroom pop uh, song that could have been released in the last five years. Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. Really, really ahead of its time. I mean, even more ahead of its time than Love You. Yeah, honestly, I would say so, because synth pop was right around the corner. Bedroom pop was still, like, 40 years away. Yeah, it's really bizarre. So that that's your pick, Brody, right? Um, or do you want to talk about Deidre? Oh, no, we can talk about... I mean, we can still harp on all I want to do. Okay. I mean, it's just a really cool song. I think it's a super cool. It's that ahead of its time. It's and just gorgeous, honestly. It's a gr- And then the ending, like, harmonies, I'm, I won't embarrass myself trying to sing it, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, great song. But yeah, we can talk about Deirdre. All right, go for it. Okay, I don't know if we're <laughs> gonna play it first. <laughs> oh, okay. Honestly, that kind of sounds like uh, Beach Boys do the Love and Spoonful or something. Yeah, like that's super sunshiny. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's just it's it's super happy, but I think the lyrics are pretty, you know, pretty kind of melancholy in the classic Beach Boys sense. Yeah, um, and it just has so much going on. It has like those those woodwinds in there that almost makes it sound like a musical song, mm-hmm. and like it has it's just, it's bouncy with those acoustics like it's equally fun and sad all at the same time as every good beach boy song should be yeah and it's worth mentioning i'm almost positive you can hear it but it started a uh, downpouring <laughs> within the last you know like 10 or 15 minutes it's really fitting for this episode i don't really know why this is i think the best vibes we've ever had recording a sound check episode like rain it's nice and dark in here no one in the office yeah we've got like low just a singular light shining and the thunders the thunders wow. booming outside hopefully you get to manifested that. it wow um and we're going to talk about uh my personal favorite i think one of the most beautiful beach boys songs which says a lot um this is one of Dennis's best. Yes. Um, he shows up a lot on this episode, which really shows you should uh, just seek out any of the stuff he wrote with the Beach Boys. It's great. Um, even more famously covered by John Stamos. Yes, on, on, the, on an episode of Full House. On an episode of Full House. He would eventually become a member of the Beach Boys touring band. He was the drummer, I believe. Uh, and he was for a while. Yeah. Um, no, that's horrible. Don't listen to it. Listen to this version <laughs> instead. <laughs> I talk forever 
hear so much raw emotion in Dennis's voice. I was going to say, just imagine John Stamos trying to Match capture that. a song like that <laughs> on TV, no less. Yes. Um, I think before before we talk to Michael here, I just want to give a little background on Sunflower. Uh, so this is kind of the Beach Boys at their lowest point to date. Mm-hmm. Um, they had had several failed albums after Smile collapsed. Um, they actually tried to submit this album a few times to the label, and it was rejected a few times before they uh, got it right. Um, they were on the brink of bankruptcy after those two big failed tours. Um, they were thinking about going bankrupt. Um, it's it's a an album... I think that should have been a lot bigger than it was, mm-hmm. but due to those circumstances, due to the, them having been a headache to the label for a while, due to uh, even the, the just sort of the general public in America by 1970, sort of getting sick of the flower, like child hippie BS, um, it was kind of too little too late for this record. Um, and actually, one of the big things that... Uh, I didn't talk about earlier, but one of the big things that really had damaged the Beach Boys' reputations, even beyond those big failed tours, beyond them sounding kind of out of step, was their association with Charles Manson. Um, That has been relatively well chronicled in that people know it went on, but there's not really a lot of information beyond that. Um, Apparently in 1968, some sessions were recorded at Brian's home studio with uh, Charlie and the girls. Um, Either... The Charles Manson sessions exist, or they don't exist, or they're demos, or they're full songs, or there are 10 tracks, or there are 100 hours of music. We don't really know. Um, everyone's been kind of hush-hush about it. As of late, as of 2021, um, the archive manager at Brother Records, who's been with the Beach Boys for over 30 years, uh, declined to comment on the existence of the tapes, and I watched the interview today, and it's sort of a... Uh, the interviewer asks, like, hey, can you tell us anything? Like, do the Manson tapes exist? Is that anything? And he just sort of goes, Manson? Who's that? And he's, like, smiling and, like, I think I'm going to have to decline to talk about that. And it's like, okay, this shit exists. <laughs> it definitely exists. In the journalism world, that that kind of gives a little indication of something hidden underneath. Yes, it's, he's it's... basically pleading the fifth, which means yes. Yes, exactly. He, even him just declining to comment seems suspicious to me, but after seeing his like laughing, jokey response, I was like, yeah, this shit is out there. I don't know how much, um, but there, there's a Lost Manson album somewhere, folks, and uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about Charlie and his gang uh, later on this season in the spooky month. Ah, yes. A prelude to okay. thing for things to come. I don't have a lot more to add to the conversation on Sunflower other than I really enjoyed it. It, it didn't rise to the top just because um, I kind of already had my fill of like sort of this this happy-go-lucky Beach Boys from mm-hmm. uh, Friends. But uh, I still really love this. Uh, I love how modern it sounds. Like we, we were saying at the beginning, Cool Cool Water sounds like it could be in a Nintendo game. Like what's that underwater song from Mario 64 or oh, something? Oh, uh, Dire Dire Ducks. Yeah, like it kind of reminded me of that. Um, and I enjoyed hearing some of those like kind of classic 60s ballads, you know, the dancers, um, It's About Time, Gotta Know the Woman, um, Slip On Through. Like all that stuff was great too. Um, production was light, airy. It was fun. Um, the, you know, releases like this just solidify the fact that 
Beach Boys are a consistently great band, you know? Yeah, they that's that's really sort of the closing argument here is the Beach Boys delir- deserve a lot more respect than they get. I mean, do they always sound like the most modern or the most groundbreaking or the most edgy? No, but they really have made consistently great yeah. emotional music throughout uh, um, most of their career, at least. I mean, there's clunkers as you go on, but I fully maintain you can listen to any Beach Boys album and find at least one song you like. I know I can. Mm-hmm. I think this rain we get outside right now is sort of symbolic for this episode because Beach Boys are a lot more than just fun in the sun. Definitely. And that's kind of the point of this whole thing is as much as, you know, you love surfs up and, well, not surfs up, but, you know, all that surfing. I get around. I fun, get around. Fun, surfing uh, the USA, surfing safari. Yeah. All, as, as much as you love all the surfing, there's a lot more to do. And it's also worth mentioning only one member of the Beach Boys actually went surfing. that's just the way it is um and uh, i think we're ready for rex right we are indeed okay so this is sort of the first episode where we're uh it's not it's it's recommendations uh but we've we've decided to retool it a little bit um it's not going to be super noticeable but i think we're going to kind of be trying to keep recommendations in the family with the rest of the episode so to speak like a lot of times we're going to be pulling stuff from other artists that are influenced or from, you know, different... If we're talking about a band, maybe we'll talk about different band members, which is a, what I know Brody and I are doing today. Um, so just listen out for that as we go on. Recommendations aren't going to be totally random, like us talking about whatever. It's going to be a little more grounded within the episode. Uh, so do you want to talk about your recommendation first, Brody? Uh, yeah. Um, another hidden gem, because it also charted very low and then kind of received retrospective praise, is um, Dennis Wilson's uh, debut and only, kind of only album, only... Only true... Only true released, blue released finished album. Full solo album, yeah. Um, Pacific Ocean Blue. Um, we talked a lot about Dennis, his songwriting, his voice, and... Uh, you get to hear some great songwriting. You get to hear his 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 really gruff and raspy voice, and you get to hear him explore. I think a lot of sonic avenues on the album that the Beach Boys uh, didn't explore. Definitely. So my I'm gonna pick one of the picks from the album is a uh, Dreamer. <laughs> It's, it really is a great record. There's lots yeah. of really cool stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And as a bonus, uh, Dennis looks very, very sexy on the cover, <laughs> if I do say so myself. Yeah, he's definitely got that like prime George Harrison vibe going on, where he had the nice beard and good oh, yeah. hair, you know? Mm-hmm. He's got like that, you see, you could see him just out there surfing in the 70s. He is the, the surfing member of the Beach Boys. That makes sense. <laughs> and yeah. it shows. Um, so after Love You, Brian Wilson sort of disappeared. Um, he got. He went further into drugs. He went further into his 
deteriorating mental state. He was being watched over 24-7 by his therapist, quote-unquote, Eugene Landy, who yeah, is probably beyond Mike Love, beyond the dad, the biggest villain in the Beach Boys story. Yeah. Um, He's a total scum. Um, But uh, due to all of that, uh, Brian didn't really return to the studio uh, until the late 80s when he finally got in and uh, worked on his first solo album, just the self-titled Brian Wilson. Um, He's done some solo stuff since then, some notable, like his uh, Brian Wilson Presents Smile, uh, or I Just Wasn't Made for These Times is really good, and some less noticeable, or less notable, like he's done a Christmas album that's all right. He's done, uh, I think, something in German, totally in German. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's cool. Um, He's done some Gershwin stuff. Uh, but I'm, I'm pulling a track from uh, That Lucky Old Son, which is his 2008 solo album um, that reprises the title track a few times, including at the end of this song. But I'm only going to play you a clip of Southern California, which is sort of a nostalgic uh, plea for simpler times, like when he was in the Beach Boys. Um, and this is just a really gorgeous song. You can hear kind of how he evolved um, and how he's still making great music up to this day. He's definitely worth going to see live from what I've heard. He puts on a good show and he plays a lot of rare stuff. He really likes Friends, so he'll play stuff from that, you know. Um, and he's he, he just seems like a, a great guy and he's doing his best and he really still has those skills in the studio. It says a lot about a guy when you've you have such a distinct songwriting and production style that if someone hears your music they know it's you you know mm. and he's retained that you know that's just a great great track yeah. you want to bring your wreck in michael yeah sure uh gonna be a short one not much more to add on top of these beautiful wrecks the boys have offered today but i brought my favorite love song to the table just because uh you should know that Love is a huge collaborator with the Beach Boys, all of those members. And this song I brought is, uh, I'm not going to say the whole thing. It's a long title. Let's just call it Maybe the People um, off of Forever Changes, which is arguably the big release, right? Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. Not even arguably. No, that's the big one. one. (laughs) Definitely worth your time if you haven't sought it out. Absolutely. This, whenever this song comes up in my recommended or um, any one of my playlists, it's ones I'm going to jam out to all the time. is happening and how have you been gotta go 
but I'll see you again. And oh, the music is so loud. And then I fade into the. People standing everywhere. Across the street, I'm at the slop affair. And here, they always play my songs. And me, I wonder if it's. Wrong or right, they come here just the same. I'd love to cover that one day. It's really a great song. Speaking of covers, I think we've pretty much come to the end of the episode, right? Oh, could I could I uh, have oh, yeah. one more rec? Uh, it's not a music rec. I'm not I'm not usually a big biopic guy, but you guys should check out the movie Love and Mercy, mm-hmm. which is a good biopic of Brian Wilson. And instead of a lot of biopics that try to chronicle everything, it it focuses on two very important uh, parts of Brian's life. So I would check that out for a a good look at Brian Wilson as he was a he was um, a consultant on the movie. All right. Yeah, there are lots of there's lots of good historic stuff. I mean, end of the day, just listen to the Beach Boys. Give them a chance. You know? Yeah. Like, listen to that later stuff. You'll find some great stuff. Uh, I hope you heard some good stuff today. Uh, any of these albums, including Love You, I'd say. Check them out. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, right? I think, I think there's a radio broadcast coming through. He sits behind his microphone Johnny Carson He speaks in such a manly tone Johnny Carson, Ed McMahon comes on and says, here's Johnny. Every night at 11.30, he's so funny. It's nice to have you on the show tonight. I've seen your act in Vegas out of sight. Johnny Carson The network makes him break his back Johnny Carson Ed McMahon comes on and says Here's Johnny Every night at 11.30 He's so funny Don't you think he's such a natural guy? The way he kept it up could make you cry. Who's the man that we admire? Johnny Carson is a real life wife. Who's the man that we admire? Johnny Carson is a real life wife. Who's the man that we 